Good morning. My name is John, one of the pastors here. Thanks again for letting me join you today as we continue our Shelter at Home Sunday services. You can find a translation of the message if English is not your primary language at efree.org slash translate. And you can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. If you go to the YouVersion Bible app, click events and first free church. So it's really my privilege to open God's word with you a little bit today. If you're with us last week, this message kind of builds on last week, which is the tail end of our uh, Undivided series. And so if you need, if you just joined us in the last few weeks, make sure you go back and watch the earlier messages so you see how this is kind of an application of the Undivided series where we talked about the four buckets, uh, the bucket of dogma, doctrine, convictions, and preferences. And Kevin's message three weeks ago, mine two weeks ago, and today is kind of how we're living this out in some of our lives. So last week we talked about offenses and how we actually take part in our offenses when we're, when we're offended by someone, when we're wounded by someone, by what we want for our image and how we're bringing uh, our own attitudes and presumptions and biases into situations. And we also talked about how we can overlook offenses when they happen to us. And I think most of the time that's how we should deal with offenses, with being wounded. We should do our best to overlook, to forgive, to think best of people, to uh, actually let go of things when someone is, has hurt us. But there are times when we can't do that or when it's actually not best for them or for us or for the church when we do that. These situations, we still need to do everything we talked about last week. We still need to examine our own hearts. We need to practice what uh, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7. Get the two by four out of your eye so that you can see the sawdust that's in your brother or sister's eye. Um, we need to precede any conversation we have with anyone else about something they've done or said that's hurt us with looking at our own hearts. Once that's done, though, we may need to talk to people about conflict and work through person to person, especially if the matter stands between you relationally. If you've done your best to overlook an offense and to try to forgive, to think the best, but when you see that person again or when their phone, when their phone number comes up on your caller ID and you just get that knot in your gut and your heart kind of aches and you, you can't really let go of it, you need to talk to them about it. Even if it's not a huge sin issue, it can help and be very cathartic to actually work through it with someone. I remember several years ago when I pastored at another church, we were at an elder meeting, and one of the elders, in talking about a topic that was not even directly related to me, said something that landed to me as being very, um, very harsh and, and almost demeaning of an aspect of my ministry that I really, really thought I was doing a good job in. And I, I knew this man, so I thought I would just let it go and prayerfully trying to overlook it, but I just couldn't. It just kept getting in the way when we would talk, when I would see him. So I remember I called him one day, went to his home, and we sat down, and I just explained. I said, you know, when you said this at the elder meeting, it's kind of how it landed, and I, I've just not been able to let it go, and I wanted to talk through it with you. And he was very apologetic, very encouraging, affirmed me, my ministry, so that is not at all what he would have wanted me to take away from that conversation. So that's, that kind of took care of it. And so sometimes that's what uh, dealing with a conflict is. It's just having a, a conversation that actually helps to resolve the issue. We also need to have a transaction if, there, if there's a substantive issue that needs to be resolved. Maybe there's a contractual obligation that needs to be fulfilled. Or maybe restitution for damage that was done to property. 
If that's not forgiven and taken care of, then that needs to be talked about. We need to have a transaction. And then another big one that's really not okay to overlook is when someone who we know and care about is caught up in a pattern of sin that's destructive in his or her life or in the community and damaging relationships. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says that when we see someone caught in sin, when we see someone that's trapped in this pattern of sin that's destructive for them, their relationships for the church, then we having depending, depended on the Holy Spirit, that is, we're living in the Spirit. We're not just jumping off as though we are the ones that have it all together, but we're seeking the Lord. We're depending upon the Holy Spirit. Should seek to restore that person by, and Paul uses this word carefully, gently restoring him. Gently restoring him. I often say, if you're eager to show someone else your sin, you're not ready or you're not the right person. It should be something we do with very great heaviness and care and gentleness. And today we're going, to, we're going to move into those areas. How are we going to resolve conflict God's way? To do this, we need to understand conflict. We need to understand what happens internally and relationally when we engage in conflict. And I think what we're going to cover today is going to be applicable in our homes, especially during this pandemic when we're kind of locked into our homes together and everyone's trying to do school and work and figure out how to do life together. And we're going to be bumping into each other. We're going to be experiencing frustration. We're going to be wounded. We're going to even experience limits that are going to really press us and we're not going to really understand It's also going to apply in our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our church. I think it even applies to how we interact with people who are far from God. Think about that with me. I think the evangelical church has in large part based our evangelism model on on something like this. We're right. The world's wrong. Let's help them be right. And no wonder they don't like that. No wonder they, they kind of scoff at that and push back on that because no one likes to be confronted with the first thing out of our mouths is you're wrong, we're right, we want to help you, even if it's motivated by wanting to share the love of Jesus with them. So what we're going to talk about today and how we deal with conflict, I think actually applies to how we are doing our work of evangelism in our world as well. I think the first stop is to consider how we communicate in general. Before we even get to the specifics about dealing with conflict, How do we communicate? For most of human history, communication was framed in story. Story gave meaning. It communicated truth. Story communicated and provided direction. It was often in the context of relationships and of values and communities. Our communication now tends not to be framed as a story, but rather to be framed as levels of supposed objectivity and objective truth and positions that we hold and reason that we hold to. And the very nature of conversation now tends to start off more adversarial and leads to great conflict. We quickly assume a defendable position whenever an issue is brought up. And then we, we look through that lens that we look at that issue and we, we arrive at a position and I hold all of my positions because they're right and you hold all of your positions because they're right. So if we differ on an issue, there's nowhere to go but one of us has to be wrong at the end of the story. That's, that's how we are framing conflict now in conversation. Sharon Ellison in her book, Taking the War Out of Our Words, makes the case that that's the problem. That our natural ways of communicating right now are actually setting us up in adversarial relationships. And she said that that actually escalates rather than de-escalates conflict. 
And in her book, she provides some practical steps for what she calls non-defensive communication. And I want to share these with you. I think they're going to help us as we look at Scripture today about how we're supposed to deal with conflict. The first principle that she shares for non-defensive communication is slow down. Slow down. I've rarely regretted times when I've had to have hard conversations with someone, when I've waited and prayed about it, when I've sought counsel for my own heart, when I've asked the Holy Spirit to examine me and cleanse me of my own sin, my own contribution to this, my attitude. I've rarely regretted doing that, but I have often regretted rushing into a conversation, confronting someone about what they did or said without doing that first in my own heart. The second principle is to question your motives. Our motives are always mixed. They're, they're hardly ever 100% pure, 100% evil. They're mixed, and we need to question them. Why am I wanting to share this with this person? Why do I want? Maybe part of it is I do want to help him or her. Part of it is I maybe want to strike back because of the way I've been wounded. And we need to question all of those. We also need to re- release outcomes. Expected outcomes can get in the way of doing the work of reconciliation that God calls us to do. And I'm not saying we don't pray that God heals a marriage or that our children respect their parents or, or that our employer treats us well. Those are great as far as hoping and praying for that. But when that becomes an expected outcome, that gets in the way of doing the work we need to do today and dealing with the process that comes. She also says we need to be vulnerable. And by being vulnerable, that's really hard to do when you're in a conflict because everything within us wants to strike back and self-protect. But she said we need to be vulnerable. We need to share how we're hurt, what we're feeling, what we're thinking, where we're at in our lives. That often, by the way, invites the other person to be vulnerable. When, when both people are really hard in a conflict, that's going to be the standoff. When one person starts softly, that tends to encourage the other person to start to respond softly as well. You need to accept accountability. And we don't do real well with accountability either. But we want other people to hold us accountable to be the men and the women that God has called us to be. Don't load questions with emotions. Sometimes when we're in a conflict, we're, we're emoting through questions and through interacting with the person, but not in an honest, open way to say, this is how I'm feeling. Instead, we hide it in questions and accusations. And then seven, and this is the heart of the whole Undivided series, respect the other person's right to disagree. Respect the other person's right to disagree. And for some of you, you know who you are. It is hard to go through life knowing that people disagree with you. But if we're going to do conflict well, if we're going to be a community where we're doing various things, we have various kinds of personalities and strengths and passions for ministry, there are going to be aspects of things that we disagree on, secondary issues, and we need to be okay with that. So when we approach a disagreement from a right or wrong framework, we're not going to resolve it. But how can we do it differently? I have a favorite metaphor I want to share with you. And if you've heard me teach on conflict before, this will be familiar with you. But please bear with me as I process it. Again, I talk about a boulder. And a boulder can represent any situation, the immediate conflict you're in, an issue that you and your spouse or you and your family or you and your boss are trying to resolve. It can be a a problem that has to be solved. It can even be a doctrinal position on the age of the universe, the role of women in the church, human sexuality, uh, marriage, um, the end times. Take a doctrinal position. The boulder is that position or the issue that we're looking at. Now, each person, picture someone standing on each side of the boulder, describing what the boulder looks like. Each person does their best to describe this is what the boulder looks like. 
The person on the other side, no, 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 you're wrong. Because I'm looking at the boulder, and that's not what the boulder looks like. This is what the boulder looks like. When in truth, both of them have huge parts of the boulder that neither of them see. So neither of them can say, I, having, having surveyed this entire rock and knowing every crevice in it, can describe it. No, I'm just describing my perspective on the boulder, what I'm seeing. But couples, co-workers, Christians, nations spend hours and months and even years defending the rightness of my view of the boulder, not giving an inch, but wanting everyone else to agree that I see it correctly. The only positive solution, and one that's supported by Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which teaches us that we should value others above ourselves, is that we should stop defending our view of the boulder, not deny that it's our view of the boulder, but stop defending it long enough to walk around to the other side and to see the boulder from the other person's perspective. That's putting their interest above ourselves. That's when we begin to understand and have dialogue instead of defensive communication. Another important principle for resolving conflict God's way is found in the book of James, chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 for you. James 4, 1 through 3. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now I've adapted a chart that Ken Sandy has in his book, The Peacemaker, which if you've not read, I would encourage you to pick up a copy of The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's a wonderful book. covers a lot of what Scripture teaches about how to deal with conflict biblically. But I've adapted one of his uh, graphics, which talks about how we, how we deal with these desires that we have from James chapter 3. So we start with a desire. Conflict always begins with a desire. I want something. And that something that I want reflects, going back to last week, something about me, how I'm viewing myself, where I feel I need something. And so I'm desiring that, and I'm putting that on you, maybe as a family member, spouse, a child, a coworker, just a general friend of mine, someone in my group, someone in my church. I'm putting that on you. The next stop is disappointment. And I describe disappointment as being a fork in the road when we're in conflict. It's a fork in the road because we can either go down this path that starts with demand, and that is instead of, I want this, it feels like this. I must have this, and you will give this to me. Now, we don't say it that way, but that's what happens in our mind almost instantaneously. I must have this, and you will give this to me, which speaks a little bit of an idol right away because there's something that I'm needing you to give me that perhaps I ought to be trusting God for or not needing to be blank enough, to be husband enough, wife enough, to be smart enough, to be accepted enough, to be well-liked, to, to have enough money, to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. Once we move down that path of demand, the next stop is judge. I want this. You will give this to me. You didn't give me what I wanted. Therefore, you are, and we judge people. We label them. And then the next thing is to punish. And we have catalogs of the ways we punish people after we judge them because they've not met our demands to fulfill that desire in our heart. We judge people by 
the silent treatment. We judge them by undermining them. We judge them by attacking them. We judge them by questioning their motives, gossiping about them. Again, we have catalogs of ways that we punish people, usually the people closest to us, when they're not giving us what we demand. But there's a better way. And if we go back up to disappointment, what if instead of demanding what I want, I grieve that there's something in me that wants to be accepted, loved, cared for, respected, honored, whatever it is that I'm wanting, that I'm not getting from you. So instead of demanding that you give me something, what if I grieve that I'm not getting it, which might be partly your issue, might be my issue, might be just the circumstance we're in. And we grieve losses. We need to be grieving losses all of our lives, especially in these days when we can't go somewhere. We're missing out on so many personal touches in relationship. Each one of those is something to grieve. And then we reconcile. And by reconcile is we, we talk. We have that transaction. It might be reconciling in my own heart with what I'm dealing with and experiencing. Reconciling with you in terms of working out our responsibility for this issue. And then the last stop on this path is trusting God. What started as a desire is going to end with whether or not that desire is fulfilled. I know the one I'm believing in and I trust God to make me enough even if I think I need to be smart enough, more respected, more honored, have a better job. So that's a little bit of where desires go. Now I want to share with you um, another slide that's called a Healthy Conflict Resolution. Uh, this, is, this is really interesting. It's going to pull last week's and this week's <coughs> message together. At the top of the circle, we start with an offense. And we are going to offend each other as long as we're on this planet and walking around with our own sinful hearts and selfish motives, we're going to bump into each other. I had a mentor who, who told me that she used to say, when it comes to conflict, as we understand the Bible, we're not going to be able to do this when we get to heaven. We will only be able to get along with each other all the time. So this life is the only life that we have to practice how to do conflict resolution. So let's do it well. So we, ha- we offend each other. We hurt each other. We bump into each other. And then like we talked about last week, we should extend charitable judgment. And that means I'm going to assume for the moment that you didn't mean to offend, hurt, minimize, insult me like I'm feeling insulted, hurt, or minimized. Now, that doesn't mean you did or didn't mean to. It's just I'm going to withhold that judgment until we have a conversation about it if we need to. And then I'm going to examine my own heart. I'm going to get the log out of my eye before I deal with what, what I think you have done to me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to help me to see my own stuff. If I can overlook this and let it go, I will. If not, then we do need to communicate. And that communication is to to uncover facts, to understand more about what the boulder looks like from your side. What what was going on when, when you said those words or when you didn't fulfill that commitment that you said you were going to do? And we communicate. We understand. And then we take responsibility and by the way, each one of these informs the next, and, and some of you might be thinking, well, if only it were that linear, and it, it never really is. We're bouncing all over the place on this, but this helps us to understand what the general flow ought to be. But we communicate, and then we take responsibility, and that means each of us in the conflict takes responsibility for our contribution, and I have yet to be in a conflict that I don't have something to contribute to it that I need to own. Uh, I tell people sometimes if, if we could separate and and pull apart the percentage of contribution, and let's say you were 10% responsible for the conflict and the other person was 90% responsible for the conflict, 
The question is, are you going to be 100% responsible for your 10%? Are you going to own everything you did or said or didn't do or say that contributed to the conflict? That's what we're called to do. And that invites the other person. You can't require him or her to take responsibility, but you can own your stuff and invite him or her to do that. And then we move into confession and forgiveness. And confession and forgiveness is when we do just that. I, I hurt you. It's my responsibility. I'm not going to make excuses. I, I understand how much it wounded you and there are consequences for that. And I'm going to take full responsibility for that. And I'm going to do my best, depending on the Holy Spirit, to live differently. Will you forgive me? And we grant forgiveness when someone asks for forgiveness. Sometimes I, I hear people say, uh, I'm not going to forgive him because I don't think he's really repentant. Which is really tricky. It's a dangerous place to be because that means that I'm going to reserve the judgment in my own mind and heart on how genuine or sincere your repentance is. And so I'm going to withhold forgiveness until I have deemed and can judge that you truly are repentant. Now, that's dangerous on a few places because who am I to judge someone's heart? And secondly, it boxes me into this prison of unforgiveness that I can't get out of until either he or she proves him or herself enough to be repentant, or finally I'm locked in this and I just have to give up, which isn't good for either of us. How much better if when someone asks forgiveness, we grant forgiveness, and then should something happen again, we deal with that, and there might be added consequences then. There might be new boundaries we need to put in place, but it's, it's not withholding forgiveness. Forgiveness in, the, in both the Old and New Testament, I think, is presented in a couple of different ways. It's a decision that we make. I'm choosing based on what God has done for me through Christ to forgive you and to, to let you free, set you free from all punitive punishment of what you deserve for what you did. That's forgiveness. That's the decision. But there's also a process element of forgiveness. That is, after that decision, how are we going to walk through that forgiveness? What's it going to look like next week? What's it going to look like when we have to sit together in that business meeting at work, and that's where you said that hurtful thing, and now I have to look across the table at you again? How is it going to work out there? What's the process of forgiveness going to look like? When, when we work through that, then we can move to what's the relationship going to look like? How are we going to reconcile this relationship? And I don't believe that reconciled relationships always have to be we're best friends for life. I think if we're honest with some relationships, we reconcile, we find God's grace and mercy, we forgive one another. And there are sometimes where there are long-lasting consequences for, not, for, for, for the way that we've dealt with each other. And so sometimes a reconciled relationship might be it's just going to be hard. We're going to have a hard relationship, and we're going to have to work really hard at overcoming that. But in our hearts, we're not holding things against one another. Then issues get resolved. Once we have worked through, and I've done this with so many people as a mediator and as a pastor, people are coming, and they have such big issues that they're fighting about. And if we put the issues on the table for a little while, or on the shelf for a little while, and we sit around the table, and we talk about relationship, and we help them to come, become reconciled, then we pull those issues off the shelf. And it's a lot easier to resolve an issue when you and I are, are, um, are not adversaries, when you and I are allies, and we're working together to resolve that issue. And then trust grows. And trust grows, which doesn't lead to the next offense, but it sets us up for the next offense so that when we are offended again, we're more ready to give charitable judgment. 
Now, again, that's a, a nice linear kind of line there around that circle, but, but it's, it's something that happens in pieces, and sometimes we might be working on reconciliation and need to go back to charitable judgment or, or confess sin after we, something new comes up while we're trying to issue, reconcile our issues, um, resolve the issues that we have. But overall, this helps us to understand what a healthy cycle of conflict looks like. I presented this to our staff uh, several months ago as part of our staff development work. We do every once in a while, we'll do in our staff meetings, just way, talk about ways to grow and improve the way we work together as a team and the way we lead our church. And it was there that this idea was birthed to spend a couple weeks on Sunday morning talking about offenses and talking about how we deal with conflict. But your pastors, including me, didn't want this just to be a sermon or two. We all agreed that this is foundational to what we want the DNA of our church to be about here at First Free. We want to be a people that are living at peace, people that take seriously. When we wound each other, we want to reconcile and we want to work through things biblically. So we adapted a congregational commitment that comes out of the Peacemaker book I talked to you earlier that Ken Sandy wrote, that we would like all of our congregation to embrace. Now, the plan was, before we were uh, given orders to shelter in place and couldn't meet together here, the plan was that every one of you, when you came into the auditorium today, were going to be given a print copy of this, this uh, commitment, and we were going to go through it together and, and make a commitment together in one room to say, this is how we want to live our lives. So we're not going to do that, but you can find it at efree.org slash reconciliation. So you can even go there on your phone or your computer now or do that later. If you're in a group and you're following our group study questions, you're going to walk through this in your group. But I want to walk through, I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to walk through some of the highlights of this commitment to reconciliation that we want all of our church to be committed to, every one of us. It starts off, the church is committed, our church is committed to building a culture of peace that reflects God's peace and the power of the gospel in our lives. As God gives us wisdom and grace, we're committing to actively teaching and encouraging one another to live out the following principles. And I'm just going to read a few of them. You can read all of them and the Bible verses on your own. First, whenever we're faced with a conflict, our primary goal will be to glorify God in our thoughts, words, and actions. And that is so counterintuitive. Because when we get into conflict, our first thought is defend ourselves, figure out how to be right, how do we win. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. So what if, what if as a commitment, our whole church, we say, whenever we're in conflict, our number one goal right out of the gate is not going to be to be right about this issue or to figure out who's correct in this debate. What if our common goal is to glorify God and for him to win and for him to get the glory? Then we're going to get the log out of our eye. Before we talk to someone else, Matthew 7, overlook an offense. We talked about that, Proverbs chapter 19. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for edifying others and building them up. So we're going to refrain from gossip, backbiting, and slander. If we have a problem with someone, we're going to go to them, not talk to others about them. We're going to exercise charitable judgment. We've talked about that. When, when an offense is too serious to overlook, or when we think someone has something against us, we're going to go to them and seek reconciliation. I sometimes have people, when I talk to them, and I know they're in a conflict and they're sharing it with me, say, I'm just going to wait till he or she, make, the other person makes the first move. Uh, but in the Gospels, in fact, it's all in Matthew. In Matthew 5, we read that if you're going to worship and you know that your brother has something against you, it's your responsibility to stop, 
Leave your gift at the altar. Go reconcile. Do what you can to reconcile. And in Matthew 18, if you have something against someone else, so it's kind of bookends. It doesn't matter if you're the one who's offended or you know someone is offended by you, uh, that your responsibility before God is to do all you can to seek to reconcile with them. Here's a good one. When we offer a word of correction, we're going to do so gently and graciously. And when someone tries to correct us, we're going to ask God, and we have to ask God for this, to help us resist prideful defensiveness and welcome correction with humility. This takes prayer and takes practice. Psalm 141 verse 5 is a good verse to read. Let the, let the godly strike and correct me. It says there, it's good medicine. When someone who loves God and cares about me cares about me enough to correct me. That's good medicine. When others repent, we will forgive them. When we discuss substantive issues, we're going to look out for the interest of others. And then the agreement, the commitment goes on to talk about assisted peacemaking. If two of us can't resolve a conflict privately, we're going to seek someone to help us. Maybe a small group leader, maybe a Christian friend, maybe someone else here in our church who you know and respect and can sit down with both of you. When that doesn't work, we're going to get some church leaders to help. When we have a a business or a legal dispute with another Christian, whether that person's in our church or not in our church, we're going to, we're going to resist going to court and getting lawyers involved and suing because 1 Corinthians 6 tells us not to do that. But we're going to encourage and invite the church to help us even to resolve those kinds of disputes. If someone comes to our church and they have an unresolved conflict with the previous church, we're going to ask them and do everything we can to help reconcile that before they join our church. Um, And if someone leaves our church to go somewhere else, we want to make sure there's a reconciled relationship and there's nothing broken there. You can read the rest of those. And again, if you're in a group that's doing a sermon study, you're going to be talking about this in greater lengths. We're called to live in unity with one another and to strive in our relationships to keep them reconciled. But we cannot miss the strong message of the New Testament that the best and most effective contributor to me living at peace with others is for me to be at peace with God. The best and most effective contributor to me living at peace with others is for me to live at peace with God. Listen to how Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen as I read these verses, starting with verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. There's a sense in which every human reconciliation reflects something of the picture of reconciliation that God wants with us and with all humanity. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God said, at just the right time I heard you, On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. 
So if you need to reconcile with God, maybe for the first time today, or maybe you need to reconcile with God because you've been caught up in a pattern of sin that's really caught up, you've been caught up in, you can't seem to get out of, today's the day that you need to do that. If you want someone to pray with you, reach out to someone in your group, reach out to another Christian who you know and trust, or you can go to efree.org and let us pray with you. And after the service, elders will be available to pray with you online as well. If there are relationships in your life that need to be reconciled, please take steps to open communication, to find that restoration, to find the freedom that Christ wants you to have. Let's together commit to living at peace by reconciling and resolving conflict God's way. We pray with me. God, what an important reminder of the incredible price that you paid for us to be reconciled with you that your son Jesus Christ came to die for me, for each one of us who trust in you, for the whole world who we're taking this gospel message to. And that through that, we, having been reconciled with you, have been given this message of reconciliation that we can carry on in every relationship that we have with our children, in our marriages, in our homes, with our parents, with our teachers, our workplaces, in our communities, in our church, and in the world. Help us to be a church that lives by these commitments. May we, by the power of your Spirit, overlook and let go of any offense when we can. And when we can't, let's humbly talk to one another and that your Spirit would give us a testimony so people around us who watch us and who see this, who hear about the way we do conflict would say, wow, what is it? What is it about that church and their God that they can disagree and love each other well? May that be true for your glory. Amen.